Thank you, Caitlin. May God bless the reading of his word. Stay in that passage this morning. Uh, stay, stay there in that book. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we started a understanding that, uh, and we pointed to the fact that Scripture is a record of men and women who somehow, in the midst of all the uncertainty of life, all the trials, all the tribulations, all the, the ins, the outs, the in-betweens, found, identified, and discovered God's activity in the midst of those times of uncertainty. The, the, what we tried to point out is that is our story as well. That scripture is not just a story of what has happened, but it is part of who we are as a people. And so we continue this series uh, this morning that God has still got the whole world in his hands. And we use this word still because there are still times when we look at our life and the world around us and somehow we still wonder, where's God in all this? We wonder if, is God still active? Is he going to intervene? Is, is, is he just, or is he just out there kind of watching? And we look through scripture and we're reminded that what we're experiencing now in the biblical perspective is kind of normal. And consequently, we have nothing to fear because God hasn't changed. The situations may look different, but God has not changed. And so scripture teaches us, and, and many of us experience this through, through different points in our life, that God is still at work, even in the midst of uncertainty. And, and here's the question, though, that I wanted to ask today, and I want an answer to, is what are we supposed to do in the meantime? By that, I mean, what are we supposed to do when we're waiting for God to do something? What are we supposed to do when, when the uncertainty becomes even more uncertain? What are we supposed to do when life just seems to be going the opposite direction than what we think it should be and when it seems that God isn't really answering the prayers that we're putting out there? And the great news for us is that Scripture gives us an answer, a very specific answer. And so we will look at this verse in chapter 4 of Philippians. Now, if I was just to say, just to read it off, we'd say, wow, that's, that's kind of nice, Pastor Troy. That, that's really just, that's nice. And I'll admit that initially as we look at that verse, and what Paul is saying, it seems pretty quaint, pretty simple. But when you take it in the context that Paul is writing it, it becomes a whole lot more valid. It becomes a whole lot deeper and richer. Because we remember that, that Paul, after his miraculous conversion outside Damascus, and, and he sends off, and he, after, after a period of time, he goes off into uh, what we would call Europe, and he starts these churches. And Philippi is one of the very first churches that he starts. And, 
But he continues on and he continues on and he continues on and planting churches all over the place. He's sharing the gospel message over and over and over to people like you and me, the non-Jewish. And eventually Paul ends up back in Jerusalem, even though he had been warned, don't go back. And he gets there, and now the Jewish leaders have, are wanting to put a stop to what he has been doing because they felt like he was corrupting Judaism. He was corrupting what they understood to be true, and he was telling people, like you and me, that you can worship the Jewish God, and you can be loved by the Jewish God, and you've been taken care of by the Jewish God, and yet you don't have to become Jewish. You don't have to eat the way they eat. You don't have to be circumcised just because, and you don't have to do all these things because God has sent his son to do the things that needed to be done to take care of you and I. And that if you would accept his son Jesus and what he has done, you're in. You've been grafted into the vine, he says. Well, Needless to say, that got the, the Jewish hierarchy of, of religious leaders a bit upset. And they felt like he was corrupting and sort of hijacked Judaism. So when he goes back to Jerusalem, when he goes into the temple, they see him. They call for action. A mob kind of ensues, and they're about ready to pummel the guy. And drag, they drag him out of the temple, and they're, they're about to beat him to death or stone him or something. And, and, well, somebody calls the police, and the police happen to be the Romans. And so the Roman guards come in, and they, they arrest Paul basically to save him. And they haul him off, and he stands before a couple of different Roman leaders. And, and he's, he's, he's there... And the Jews are saying, you've, you've got to get this guy. You've got to take care of him. He's broken the law. He's offended God. But in the midst of all this turmoil, in the midst of all this stress and beatings and different things that are happening, Paul happens to mention, is it right for you to beat a Roman citizen? And it changes everything. All of a sudden, the rules change. They're not just beating a Jew. They're beating a citizen. And that means a whole different kind of thing, a whole different set of laws and rules. So eventually, in the midst of everything, Paul appeals to Caesar. And he gets shipped off to Rome for a trial for these charges that have nothing to do with anything Roman. While under arrest, they send him on a ship to go to Rome, and a storm comes up, blows him out of the middle of, of the uh, Mediterranean Sea, for about two weeks, then another storm comes in and crashes. It washes them ashore. They're shipwrecked for three months. They finally get eventually uh, on an Alexandrian ship to uh, Rome, and they imprison him in a home. And they're so far. He's so far down on the trial list that for over two years he sits in jail, unable to do his thing. And so what does he do? He writes letters to the churches that he started, to the people, and he's sending them through various carriers and messengers. And this letter of the Philippians is one of those letters. 
And the reason all this is important is to say that the end of this letter, what he writes in chapter 4, it may seem really quaint and it may seem impractical when taken out of context. But Paul's life for the several past several years when he's writing this letter is anything but certain. It's anything but easy. And so as he writes this letter, here's what he has to say about uncertainty and uh, specifically his instructions on how to pray in the midst of times of uncertainty. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, if you just said rejoice always, we can write it off. But those three words in the middle, in the Lord, change everything. The reason this is so important is we tend to stop rejoicing the Lord when other things happen. We, we tend to celebrate all the time because so many other things there's to rejoice about. And we come to church and, and we rejoice on all this other stuff and that captures our joy. But as the things get harder and harder, as there are fewer and fewer things to rejoice in, Paul says maybe it's time to refocus and understand that there is a time to rejoice and it's all the time. And he says, look, I want you, I want you to recapture this emotion. I want you to recapture the emotion that's associated with God's grace, God's mercy, and the love in your life that is God. And I want you to focus on it so much that you actually begin to, to feel the emotions that are, that are part of, of this great news. And I want you to reflect on God's goodness and mercy in your life until those emotions capture up and catch up with reality. That that would change your focus. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And when we, sh we should pause and discipline ourselves and be intentional about learning to rejoice in God's goodness in our lives, no matter what's going on around us. Philippians 4, verse 5. Then he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, the implication here is that we can't let hard times begin to erode our integrity and our character. We, we don't quite, in the, as we look at it in our, in our passages, the way the English word, we don't get the full meaning of this gentleness. What does that mean? Well, Paul uses this word, and it's the opposite of self-assertion. It's the opposite of demanding your rights. To, to be gentleness to all is to set my, your priorities over mine. And things may be tough, but if your joy is only associated with the good circumstances, then when those circumstances erode, so will your character. So will your integrity don't allow circumstances to, be, to begin to control the way you treat others. Your character should be the result of what God has and is continuing to do inside of you. 
He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. In spite of the circumstances, there should be something unique about your life. Why? Because the Lord is near. God hasn't gone anywhere. And because God is near, in verse 6, we see, do not be anxious about anything. Now, in itself, this doesn't seem like real helpful advice. It's kind of like when a, you, you share your worries, you share your stress with a good friend, and they say, ah, don't worry about it. And you're like, do you really understand what's going on here? I, I don't think you're being helpful right now, and you kind of want to slap them upside the head. And Paul's saying, don't be anxious about anything, but he's smart enough to know that you can't leave it there. And so he gives us this secret to handling the difficult times and that doesn't allow the difficult times to control us. He doesn't just simply say quit worrying, but he says in every situation, in every marriage situation, in every job situation, in every school situation, friendship situation, roommate situation, education situation, in, all, in what other words, in every time that you might ever feel overwhelmed with anxiety or worry, here's what I want you to do. In those moments, God would have us in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God. Now most of us read it this way. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation pray. And we kind of stop there and we go, God, okay, God, I've been praying. What do you think I've been doing? And things aren't changing, God. Why? Why, why, aren't God, why aren't things changing, God? I'm just as stressed before as I you know, am now, and, and God help me, and we pray, God, save me, send something, do something. And if, I, if you're telling me that the answer to my anxiety, to my worry in the midst of this uncertainty is praying, well, that's just not, a, not very helpful because I've already been doing that. But look at this verse again. In every situation, by prayer, and petition with thanksgiving. Yeah, we can be thankful and we can pray because we understand the context that God has been and continues to be faithful. But he doesn't stop there. Paul's going somewhere with this because he uses a word that normally isn't in this context. He uses the word as we, we read it, present. But the reality of it is, is this word uh, that comes from a Greek solving of a mystery. It's reveal. Paul says, I want you to spend the time necessary to understand for yourself and then reveal to God what is the deepest level of your heart. Don't just stop with the surface level stuff, but what's driving the requests? What's driving the anxiety? I want you to reveal. Don't just tell God what you want. Let's get deeper than that. Reveal to God the deepest desire of your heart. And that takes time. Because the importance of this is that uncertainty can bring these surface level to the surface, our deepest insecurities and our hidden values and and few of us pray at that level. 
We tend to get stuck praying at the level of here's what I want, here's what I need, and I want it in this color, in this year, and I'll take this accessory, God. And if you'll throw in the extra stuff there, we'll all be good, God, until the next time. And then we complete in Jesus' name, amen. And God's saying, you're missing the point. And Paul is saying, okay, you can kind of pray that way if you want, but that's never going to help you with the anxiety. I want you to come to God and say, God, here's my request, but here's why, and here's what I fear is going to happen if you don't intervene. There's this point where we need to move beyond the, the, the simple help me. And I, and I understand there are moments when words don't really come and God understands that heart. I understand that. But there are times also when we tend to just go with the list and, and God, Paul is saying what we need to come to God and spend this time is till, so that we would understand the bottom line, the hidden values, that if we're going to pray in Jesus' name, we better understand the issues at hand. And that our anxieties and fears and insecurities would then be laid at the feet of Jesus. That we would bring more than a list. That what we would do is bring the stuff that answers the question, what are you most concerned about? And Paul is saying to bring that to your heavenly father because when we do that, the result is, verse 7, and the peace of God. Notice not the peace in the midst of the circumstances. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word guard here is a military word that means to stand watch over. And often the re reason we're so anxious in our life is because we've never invited and allowed our Heavenly Father to stand over guard over our hearts and our minds. Instead, we keep trying to send Him out to stand guard over the circumstances. And God says, what if instead you allowed me to stand guard over your heart and your mind in relation to that stuff? What if you could have peace in the midst of all this in spite of the fact that there's uncertainty in your life? What if instead of being stressed out in those moments, you would learn to pray in a way that at the end of the prayer, you found peace? Paul's instructions is that in the times of uncertainty, we're to pray until the peace comes. We're to stay on our knees, not until the world changes because the world may never change. Not until we get out of jail because you may never be released from that jail. Not until your kids are perfect and get straight A's and go to the school of your choice. That may never happen. But God has promised that we can pray until the peace that surpasses all understanding would come into our life. Not just pray and simply say, here, God, here's what I want. But God, here is my request. And this is what I'm afraid of it, it will happen if you don't do it. And really, God, I just, 
I need to trust you more. And God says, now we're praying. Now we're communicating. Now we're talking in my name. And you, get, you merge out of that into the same world that you came into this prayer, but now you have something that you didn't have before. You have the peace of God that surpasses understanding, that's bigger than all the stuff. You're not okay because the world changed, but because you have changed, because you've been in the presence of the holy God. The only way to find, not to be anxious about anything is to pray about everything. And so we kind of, it's a simple thing that's more complex than it sounds. I understand that. But this morning I just want to quickly go over something. It's this kind of prayer begins with answering this question. Heavenly Father, I need you too. And that may be a longer list at times than others. But we, we start there. But the problem, as I've said before, is often we tend to end there. And so we continue with the next question or the next statement because if you don't, I'm afraid that. And as you begin to dwell on the what if, we ask God for peace regarding that situation, that issue. Because there is a peace that is available for those who will, who will allow the level of conversation and honesty with God. What, why this matters is that we need to get beyond the wish list. Because he is worthy. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. And the God can and is willing to gift us this peace. Maybe not change the situation, but gift us the peace that changes the way we approach the situation. And God is willing to gift us that to help us get beyond the in-the-moment reactionary anxiety that we tend to live in in our world. When life is uncertain, God is not. He still has the whole world in his hands. So what are we supposed to do in the meantime? You pray until the peace comes. God hasn't lost control. He's not fallen asleep at the wheel. We can be filled with anxiety or we can learn to pray in a way that until the peace comes and you discover that's this amazing peace that surpasses and defies our human understandings. And you'll know the Heavenly Father in a way at that point that you never have known him before. And you may look back at those circumstances and I'll understand like many people, you'll look back at them and you'll say, I'll never sign up for that again. But I wouldn't trade what I, dis what I discovered in the midst of that about myself and about God for anything. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade what I discovered about the love of God in those moments. Because when times are tough, when times are uncertain, our responsibility and our opportunity is to pray until the peace comes. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father,
I thank you for who you are. That you're not detached. That God, while you didn't bring this into the world and these trials and different things that we may go through, then neither did you leave us alone in it. That God, help us. That as we pray in your name, that we would take that seriously. That we would deal with the lower and the bigger issues at hand in the midst of that. That we would cast our anxieties on you. That we would bring those things to you. Not in a heavenly wish list Santa kind of way. But God in a way that understands that while things may not change circumstance-wise on the outside, you can give us peace on the inside that, that overwhelms the outside. And that as people watch, as people see what is going on in my life, that God, we would point to you and say that while God didn't bring it to me, he gave me strength in the midst of it. He gave me peace in the midst of it. And I'll continue to pray that God will change the circumstance. But regardless, my God is faithful and just. And more than anything, I'm thankful for he has forgiven and my sins and done something for me that I could never do in the first place. Heavenly Father, change us. Give us peace in the midst of these unsettled times that we may be beacons of light for you in our community, in our relationships, and in everywhere we encounter anyone. We may say, glory be to God because he's still got the whole world in his hands. In your name we pray, amen. Remember, next week is at the park, um, and we invite you to be there at 10 o'clock with us. God bless.